Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. Today is VBPH Sunday, where we feature a message that was recently preached from the pulpit of our church here in Virginia Beach, Virginia. You'll hear from Pastor Adam Dragoon and any other visiting preachers who have come through our church. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. Thank God for His grace and His mercy. Wonderful to see all that God is doing. Uh, We're grateful for the opportunity to serve the living God. I don't know about you, I am glad to have my sins forgiven and to be uh, right standing with God. Amen. There is nothing in the world like having a clean conscience before the Lord, and that only comes through humility, repentance, and faith. Amen. I want to invite you to join us in the Word of God this morning. We're looking at the book of Acts and chapter 20. Book of Acts, chapter 20. And uh, as we are gathered here on this uh, glorious, uh, chilly Sunday morning, uh, we want to continue and actually wrap up a series of sermons that we've been going through for the new year. Uh, The series has been on the topic of Habits, building new habits and ending old destructive habits. And that uh, with every year that passes, we have the opportunity. Uh, Many people set New Year's resolutions. And uh, I, I love New Year's resolutions because it is at least at the bare minimum a recognition that we all see things in our lives that need to change. And, uh, and this is why many people begin New Year's resolutions with the new year. And uh, unfortunately, though, uh, 92% of all resolutions will either be broken or forgotten by the end of February. So what does that tell us? It tells us that most people recognize they have a need to change, but perhaps maybe they don't have the tools to see it through. And so that's why we as a congregation, we, uh, we want to give you those tools because how many know we have better tools than anybody in the world has. We have the Holy Spirit who has been given to us by the Lord Jesus to dwell in us, to free us from bondages. And that Holy Spirit gives us power over sin and indeed over death. And so we've looked for the past few weeks on uh, some biblical accounts of how Uh, we can take responsibility for our actions, how we can begin to identify areas of our lives that need to change and indeed can change, we were encouraged to remember that even small changes can add up to big results. And even if we only change a a small thing, it's like uh, when the plane uh, takes off from Los Angeles, If he only makes a 1% change in his heading, that over the course of the flight will determine a big difference. Leaving from Los Angeles and heading toward Washington, D.C., if you only make a 1% change in course, you'll actually end up in New York City. That is a significant change of outcome. The same is true in our lives. Even if, listen, you don't have to, 
you know, reform every single part of your mind, your heart, and your soul in one day. But even if you make a small change, it can have large results when added up over time. We looked at the life of the prophet Daniel, who the Bible tells us he had an incredible habit of daily prayer. How it made his life worthy of imitation. It made him an excellent example. Made him a candidate for promotion. And uh, we remember that by building good habits in our lives that we could also see those things happening in our lives. And last week, we also received the challenge to identify some bad habits, some, some things that were causing destruction in our own lives. And we were encouraged to find out how we can change those things. And this week, I want to conclude this series by thinking ahead a little bit. So, some people have the wrong idea about motivation. What is motivation? We talked about this in our men's class a few weeks back. Motivation, some people believe, is getting inspired or excited. Uh, some people are at the beginning of the year get motivated to start a new diet or an exercise routine. And um, you know what the problem with that is? That that motivation doesn't last. If that is your definition of motivation, just pulling yourself up by the bootstraps and I'm motivated and I'm excited. And, but the problem is that that's very emotional in nature. And emotions, how many understand, are like waves of the sea. Sometimes they roll up and there's a good wave. And other times, like Virginia, there ain't no waves. And so um, what we desperately need is, yes, we do need motivation, but not defined in that way. If you look at the word motivation, it begins with the word motive. The definition of a motive is a purpose or a cause. And so true motivation is not just an emotional feeling that inspires us to a short-term action. Motivation means re-examining why we are here, how we want to end up one day. And I want to use this last service of this, uh, of this series to re-examine our motivations. And I want to preach a message that I've entitled, Living a Regret-Free Life. Because I believe that when we get to the end of our lives, if God gives you the gift of a long and healthy life, that, he, uh, that we are going to want to, that day, we're going to want to look back and say, you know, I really wish, I really wish I would have done things differently. That we don't want to one day look back and say, man, I wish I didn't, or I wish I did. I believe that God would have us to live a regret-free life and we can do that this morning by building these healthy habits in our lives. We have an example here in our scripture, Acts chapter 20, from the Apostle Paul, that I want to use as an example for our lives this morning. So let's read this together, this account of Paul traveling, uh, beginning with verse 13. Again, Acts chapter 20, verse 13. We went ahead to the ship and sailed to Ossos. They're intending to take Paul on board, for so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. And when he met us at Ossos, we took him on board and came to Medellin. We sailed from there, and the next day came opposite Chios. The following day we arrived at Samos and stayed at Tregolium. The next day we came to Miletus, for Paul had decided 
to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, for the day of Pentecost. From Miletus he, went to, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. See, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, verse 26, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Let's look this morning at living a regret-free life as we pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity. God, we're praying this morning that you would inspire us and help us today. I'm praying, God, for every person gathered here and for those even watching online. I'm praying that you would speak directly to our hearts, that this would be more than just a nice Bible homily. But God, that you would reach down from heaven, bring revelation, understanding, and conviction to our hearts. God, we want our lives to glorify you in all that we do. And we thank you for the blood of Jesus this morning. It's in his name that we pray. God's people would say, amen. Living a regret-free life. And I want to begin right here that the life of no regrets has to begin with right living. Okay, so we can't even have this goal. We can't even have this motive of living a life without regrets unless first we purpose in our hearts to live correctly in the eyes of God. This is the first and greatest requirement because here's the problem with you and me. We don't like to live right. There, We we are constantly uh, doing battle against the flesh which is pulling us to a life of sin and bondage. There is a gravity of the world, the battle, the gravity of our flesh, the gravity which continues to pull us back toward, uh, toward bondage and sin. And that gravity, if we are to escape that gravity and get into the orbit of God's will, it's going to require some intense discipline. It's going to require uh, the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's going to require the blood of Jesus to wash our sins away. And there is indeed a difficult process, a price, a high price that was paid so that our sins could be washed away and that we can escape that gravity of sin. This is what Paul is talking about, first of all, in our Scripture. As he speaks about his life, he's reminding the church here in Ephesus how he lived his life. Look at verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by plotting of the Jews. 
I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you. And so how did he do that? How did the Apostle Paul live that kind of a life? Well, he didn't always live that kind of life. In fact, the Bible also tells us that the Apostle Paul was once a killer, a persecutor of the church. That he was once thinking that he was serving God by chasing the church into, uh, into cities and nations and arresting even women and children and throwing them into prison under the authority of the high council. And so uh, uh, when, when Jesus met this man and knocked him off of his horse on that fateful road to Damascus, we remember that Paul was so surprised. He was surprised by this because Jesus is the one who confronts him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And it's amazing to me that in that moment, he doesn't even know who is speaking to him. Who are you, Lord? And what do you want me to do? It's an amazing encounter, but it reminds us that before Paul can have this amazing life of effectiveness, before Paul, Saul can become Paul and become an apostle and preach the Word of God in cities all around Asia, before he can do all of that, that God has to first give him uh, the opportunity through salvation. How does this happen? How can we even begin to live right? First of all, we have to live an examined life. In verse 18, it says, uh, from the first day I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you. He is examined by God. He's examined by his own self. And he's also saying, you guys know this. You have observed my life. He is a, a life that is examined. This is, this is such a difficult thing in our world today because we tend to want to have this anonymous Christianity. It says, you live your life, I'll live mine and we won't uh, bother one another. But that is, that is uh, antithetical to the New Testament church where it says that we ought to confess our sins one to another. That, uh, that we cannot live right without the examination of our own lives by God, by ourselves, and even observed by others. Paul says, I have lived my life in view of all of you people. And because you know and I know that I've lived right, in your eyes, that means something. That's powerful. If we want to live a life without regrets, it means we're going to have to open ourselves up sometimes. Open ourselves up to correction, to conviction of the Holy Spirit. Open ourselves up. But you know what many people say? Who does that person think they are? Who does that pastor think he is trying to, trying to control and manipulate me? Wow, got quiet all of a sudden. What happened? Right? Living means we have to allow our lives to be examined. See, you would never, you would never make a doctor's appointment and say, doctor, you know, I got this, <clears throat> I got this little problem in my, my shoulder. You make an appointment and you go to the doctor and you say, uh, yeah, I got, this, I got this thing, it's just been bugging me. And the doctor says, okay, well, uh, just, just pull your shirt down a little bit so I can see. And, it, and you say, nope, can't do that. I don't want you. I want you to help me, but I don't want you to examine me. Does that make any sense? That makes no sense. And we come to church and we understand that there are some problems happening in our lives. Some spiritual problems, some family problems, some marriage problems, some financial problems. And we think that by setting a New Year's resolution, that's going to fix everything. And we say, oh, 
I want you to help me, but I don't want you to correct me or examine me. And what, hap- what happens if we don't allow an examination is we end up building a whole world of fantasy around ourselves. We live in a fantasy world full of lies that says, okay, everything's fine, everything's just good. But that is not right living. In verse 19, he says, I'm serving the Lord with all humility. If we want to live right, we've got to serve God. That means you're not serving self. You're not serving money. You're not serving the world. You are serving God. And if you want to live a life without regrets, you're going to have to learn that life is not about the things that you want. It's about the things that He wants. That's okay. You don't have to say amen. I'm just going to keep preaching. Right living means living with humility and compassion. He says, I was serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which were happening, happening to me by the plotting of the Jews. He's basically saying, I was under attack. I was under persecution. And yet, he didn't get a funky attitude. He didn't become ungrateful. He didn't become a spouting complaints like the people of Israel out in the wilderness we talked about before. And so, uh, even, even though he's in this terrible situation, people are plotting against him, scheming to attack him. And yet, what, what, is, what is he doing during this time? He's actually teaching and preaching and ministering to the church. He's still, even though, the, even though the world is coming against him, he is finding himself in service to God and helping people around him. What about you? Right living means not using the, the challenges and the trials of your life as an excuse to be lazy and not do something for God. God has given us all a purpose. Am I still preaching this morning? God has given us all something to do. And we can hide behind a thousand things. We can hide behind like Moses. Oh Lord, you know, I'm just slow of speech. My mouth doesn't work like it's supposed to. You know, or we can say I'm I'm not educated. I haven't been to Bible school. Or I'm embarrassed to talk about Jesus. Or, you know, there's a pandemic right now. And, you know, I just want to be careful. And we can hide behind a thousand things, right? But right living means we've got to move past those things to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Right living means having the truth in us. The ultimate definition of Paul's life there in verse 21, he says, I spent my life testifying to the Jews, to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, I'm not watering anything down. I'm not going to candy coat just because it might be uncomfortable. He's saying, yeah, to the Jews, this, thing, this whole thing about Jesus, it's a little sensitive topic, a little touchy. But I'm not going to hide this. I'm not going to make it easy on them just because uh, they don't like what I say. And to the Greeks also, I'm not going to soften it for them. That repentance toward God is required. Now, repentance is a word that is, is not heard in church as often as it should be. Repentance, meaning you need to turn from sin and trust God. In Jesus and we think that that is relegated just to the new convert experience that you know once you have uh, once you have a saving faith in the Lord Jesus that repentance should no longer be part of your life wrong that part of our daily devotional life that Jesus taught us how to pray part of that prayer was what 
forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. What do you call that? Repentance. Seeking God's forgiveness. Recognition that I'm not finished. I'm not perfect. That I'm still doing things that are not right. This is the definition of right living. And if we want to live without regrets, it has to begin there. I mentioned earlier, there's nothing in life like having a clean conscience before God. When your conscience is clean, you can come to your Father and say, Lord, I love serving You, right? And His presence is with you. But listen, it is not automatic to have a clean conscience. Because the truth is, as we live life, we fall into sins, we fall into temptations, we get funky attitudes. Maybe I'm the only one. You all need to pray for me, okay? Because maybe I'm the only one that that falls into funky attitudes sometimes. Sometimes I get ungrateful. Sometimes I don't feel like preaching or going to church. It's okay. You can pray for me because uh, sometimes I need to repent so that I can have a clean conscience. So maybe I've made this whole sermon just for me. Praise God. A life of regrets means living right. And if we're going to live right, it means we've got to be familiar every day with seeking God a clean conscience. Secondly, thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, On the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four. Our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe, because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. A life of no regrets starts with committed living. Not just right living, but committed living. Can you say the word committed? Oh, it's almost a dirty word in our world today. To be committed to something. It means that you're going to sacrifice to make it happen. Look at, the, look at the life of Paul here, where he is putting on display to the people there in Ephesus. He is showing them his level of commitment to the will of God. Look at verse 22. See now, I go bound in the Spirit. Bound in the Spirit. See, being bound means like being tied, your hands tied together. It's a picture of... of you know, uh, indentured servitude. I am bound to this. I am tied to it. I am connected to this. I don't have a choice in this. I am bound in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And he says, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. 
What was waiting for him in Jerusalem? Nothing good, that's for sure. Uh, if he had experienced persecution and, and, uh, and difficulty in other places, then even more so in the capital city. He says, I don't know what's going to happen there. Except that the Holy Spirit, verse 23, testifies in every city, saying that the chains and tribulations await me. So he is saying here, I am, you know what? I think I know what's going to happen. I'm not sure. But the Holy Spirit has revealed that in every city I go, there will be chains and tribulations. What would you do? The Holy Spirit. You know, you're, you uh, get your coffee in the morning one day and you sit down and pray and say, Lord, can you, um, can you just show me what's, what's going to happen to me tomorrow? And the Holy Spirit says, chains and tribulations. Okay, let me, uh, let me go take a vacation in Florida or something. The Apostle Paul is not about taking a vacation. He says, none of these things, verse 24, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy. You see that? That right there, that's the life without regret. He says, even if I find myself in Jerusalem chained to a wall, experiencing tribulation, at least I know I was faithful. At least I know that I did what I was supposed to do because I'm committed. He says, my commitment to the will of God is even greater than my commitment to my own life. I do not count my life dear to myself as long as I testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Listen, Paul had committed his life to Christ. He had committed. He had bound himself in the Holy Spirit. And listen, what that means is if you live that kind of life, you're going to often find yourself doing things that you don't understand, uh, that make no sense to you. You know, like, uh, like paying uh, $1,400 to go to a nation you've never been to before. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, you could, put a, you could put a healthy investment into your house for that kind of money. Instead, we're preparing, you know, for an impact team to Peru. We don't even know what's going to happen there. We might get kicked out the moment we get there. Who knows? And yet, we, we do these things. We commit ourselves because of our faith. And we do it in joy because this is how we live without regrets. Sometimes it doesn't make sense to serve God. It doesn't please the natural mind. Why not? Why, why, would, why would Paul want to go back to Jerusalem? He knows what's coming there. He knows that the, 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 the council of the Jews, that they want him to die. And yet, it's the Holy Spirit that told him to go. So you have this, this tension between the thing that he knows is going to happen and his commitment to the will of God. How many times do you see that in the Bible, right? You see it over and over. You see it in the life of the father of our faith, Father Abraham. When God says to him, initially, the very first time God speaks to him, and he says, I want you to leave the land of your fathers. Leave your homeland. Go out to a place. Uh, I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to help you, Abram. And you're going to see. I have a promise for you there. And, and, and Abram's like, yeah, but, you know, I got all this stuff here. And I got this family. And I, I know the language here. And, and I've got some possessions. And, and it would be hard, especially in the ancient world, to leave everything behind. And by the way, he's 70-plus years old. And so here's the tension. Here's the life that I know. Versus the life that God has called me to that I don't know. That's faith. 
And, uh, and so, you know, here, here's Abram, and he says, okay, okay, um, I guess it sounds like a good idea. Uh, where are we going, God? Just point me in the right direction. And God says, I'll show you when you get there. In Hebrews, it says that he left his homeland without knowing where he was going. When's the last time you did that? Probably not too often, hopefully, unless you're, you know, take the wrong medication or something. He left his homeland without knowing where he was going. That, takes, that doesn't make no sense. And so, why is he called the father of our faith? Because he did so at the very word of God. It's the same reason why when God speaks to him after the years have passed by uh, the, the struggle of not having his promised son and finally that son appears and, and Isaac, uh, he, he's born and he's growing and he's the pride of his father's life and uh, every, every hope and dream that Abraham has is in this son. And God says, I want you to take that son and give him back to me at the top of the mountain. God, but that doesn't make any sense. You're the one who gave him to me. God, he's the promised one. You told me. You told me that you would multiply my descendants as the number of stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And if, if you take him now, that's not going to happen. And it would be easy for Abraham to say, I rebuke you, God. This is not your promise. Maybe I had a piece of bad cheese. I, this wasn't God. We do this, don't we? We do this with God. When he tells us to do things that don't make any sense to our natural mind. And yet, this is how we display our commitment to God. And I want to tell you this, church. The reason that we create regrets in our life, things that we look back on and say, oh, that was a mistake, is when we fail to act in commitment to God. Regrets are created when God speaks to us and we don't follow. And we might give ourselves plenty of reason, plenty of understanding. We can make a thousand excuses to the, the ones that, that said, Lord, I'll follow you to Jesus. I, I want to follow. Trust me, Lord. I want to follow you, but you know, I've got, I've got, this, uh, I've got this thing happening. I've got this business. I've got this uh, later. Later, God. I'll follow you later. You think about the rich young ruler who had such a specific call from the Lord. I want you to sell all that you have and then come and follow me. What an invitation. Doesn't make sense, though, to the young man. And you think about him. You know, you, you never hear about this young man ever again in the, in, the, in the New Testament, but you wonder, did he live the rest of his life thinking about that moment with regrets? What if? What if I would have done that? What if? I would have simply obeyed at the word of the Lord. I want you to live without regrets. The only way to do that is to truly commit your way, your life, to the Lord. Finally, a life of no regrets means having a clear conscience. This is what he says in verse 25. Again, the Apostle Paul. Indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. He's predicting his end, right? Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole 
counsel of God. Paul looks at his ministry and he looks at his relationship with the church in Ephesus. And he says, guys, I might not ever preach to you again. I might not even see you again. But here's what I know. I'm innocent. I've done my part. I can honestly say I gave everything I had to give. And I leave it in the hands of God. You know, I couldn't, could not have done anything else. I did it all. It means his conscience was, was clear. He had obeyed the word of God. He had shared the good news, no matter the cost. And he had trusted God with the results. That was his calling as an apostle. The question is, what about us? So often we leave things on the table that we could have done, but we didn't. I'm not here to, uh, you know, to uh, provoke guilt in your life. Sometimes living a life without regrets means having a healthy forgetfulness. You know, the, the things that God has forgiven us of, we shouldn't dwell on the past, obviously. The things that God has forgotten, our previous life in sin, yeah, we should, we should try to forget those things too. We, we should take a moment to talk about self-condemnation here because the enemy, the enemy will try to overwhelm you with self-condemnation, self-pity. Oh, I guess my life is ruined. I have no hope. Right? This, is, this is what the enemy fills your mind with to say that, oh, I, I guess I missed the boat. There's no way I can ever recover. Uh, that's not healthy either. Because how many understand God can forgive? Thank God. He's a God of mercy. That, in, that, uh, that the, the blood of Jesus provides a way for our sins to be washed away. And if God says, I no longer condemn you, then we should not any longer go on condemning ourselves. So we don't get stuck in the past. The life of no regrets means today. You can't change what happened 10 years ago, 20 years. You can't change that now. The only, time, the only thing you can change is your future life by what you do today. This is what this whole series has been about, about habits, building healthy habits. We want to see a life in the future that from uh, January 23rd, 2022, that from that moment, because of some decisions I made, I no longer regret the life that I have lived. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be powerful? We don't get consumed with self-condemnation or self-pity, but we also recognize that it is possible in the way that we're living today to create future regrets if we don't live correctly today. Paul looks at his ministry, he looks at his life, and he says, with a clean conscience, I can say, I've given all I have to give. Can we say that today? There's a powerful story in the uh, autobiography of uh, famous Reverend Billy Graham. His uh, autobiography is called Just As I Am. And he speaks about a conversation that he had with President John F. Kennedy shortly after he was elected. Uh, listen to this story. On the way back to the Kennedy house, the president-elect stopped the car and turned to me. He asked, do you believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ? Billy Graham said, I most certainly do. He said, well, does my church believe it? John F. Kennedy, of course, was a Roman Catholic. And Billy Graham says, they have it, indeed, in their creeds. President Kennedy says, they don't preach it. They don't tell us much about it. I'd like to know what you think. Graham says, I explained what the Bible says about Christ's coming the first time, dying on the cross, rising from the dead. 
and then promising that he would come back again. Only then, I said, are we going to have permanent peace in the world. Kennedy says, very interesting. We'll have to talk more about that someday. And he drove on. Several years later, the two met again at the 1963 National Prayer Breakfast. Graham remembered, I had the flu that day. After I gave my short talk, and he gave his, we walked out of the hotel to his car together, as was always our custom. At the curb, President Kennedy turned back to me again. Billy, could you ride back to the White House with me? I'd like to see you for a minute. Mr. President, I've got a fever. Not only am I weak, but I don't want you to catch my flu. Couldn't we wait and talk some other time? It was a cold, snowy day, and I was freezing as I stood there without my overcoat. Oh, yes, of course, he said graciously. But the two would never meet again. It was later that year, Kennedy was shot. And Graham comments on that. He says, his hesitation at the car door, his request still haunts me to this day. What was on his mind? Maybe I should have gone with him. It was a moment that I can never recover. Think about that this morning. What was hanging in the balance that day? Now, Billy Graham, Penn, incredible ministry. Who knows how many millions of people are in heaven today because of his ministry. But how much hinge on that moment? Is it possible that he could have preached the gospel to President Kennedy before his death? Could it be possible that things could have changed differently? Is it possible? And, and here's Billy Graham who writes this, you know, in, uh, in, in, in 50 years after the events. And he says, to this day, 50 years have passed. It still haunts me. I wish. I wish I would have done something. And no doubt that that, that regret would drive Billy Graham to push through future problems, future distractions, future issues, so that he would no longer have that regret in future situations. The best thing that we can do with regrets today is to say, you know what, I regret that decision. God, help me. I don't want to create anymore. God, help me. God, I want to be faithful to you. I want to be committed to you so that like the Apostle Paul, I can come to the end of my life and I can say, even from a prison cell, I could say, I've run my race. I've finished my course. I have done what God has called me to do. My prayer is that every one of you would be able to say that also. That we would not look back on our lives saying, oh, I wish. You know, nobody, nobody uh, with the last breath of their life says, oh, I wish I would have worked more. Nobody with their last breath says, oh, I wish I would have had more Cheetos. Oh, how I wish I would have just watched that one game that I missed on my favorite team. Right? When we're staring eternity in the face, the things that truly matter are people and the things that we do for God. Those are the things. And if you live your life in that lane, living for others and living for the will of God, I want to tell you, You'll get to the end of your life and you'll say, man, thank you, God, for all the things you let me do. And I, I'll leave the results to you, God, but I know that I did my part. I challenge you this morning. Maybe you've got some regrets. Let them inspire you this morning. Let them inspire you to do something for the kingdom of God, living right, committed to his will with a clean conscience. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a few moments. 
Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless. God bless.